In this age of helicopter parenting, it can feel like our child's future hangs on the balance of every little tiny decision that we have to make as parents each day. For example, if you don't get your three-year-old enrolled in the perfect preschool program, and if you don't have your three-year-old properly prepared with the right language skills and math skills before the first day of that preschool, you can kiss goodbye any hope of them getting accepted into the right Ivy League school. It's gone. And if you don't get them enrolled in the right athletic program, the right sports team with the right coach, well, I mean, any hope they have of being a professional athlete is done by the time they're 10 years old. It's just over. And think about all those decisions we make in disciplining our kids. You get one of those wrong. Or you just simply don't let them spend enough overnights with the friends they choose. All those little decisions add up. The cumulative effect, it can feel like, the cumulative effect of the decisions that we make day in and day out can set our kids on an absolutely destructive trajectory in their life. They can end up living as a homeless person or a a drug addict, or one day they'll write a book, a biography of their life, or a movie script telling the world how we as parents ruined their life. Maybe now, right now, as they're sitting in church beside you, they're collecting their Facebook posts in the beginning of that book or script, you know? Because it all depends solely on whether or not we get this parenting thing right, right? Hopefully you're not one of those parents that lays awake every night worrying, fretting over whether you got all the decisions right that day. Truth is, though, we've all had those days or we wondered if we made the right decision. Because even though there are lots of resources out there, there are lots of books out there that talk about parenting, there is no simple guide for parenting. And there are no guarantees. Maybe there's a couple. Let me offer two. I think I can guarantee you that every parent is going to wrestle with memories and with their prayers for how their kids are going to turn out. I think we all remember what our own struggles were like growing up. And we'd do anything if we could serve as goalies in their life, shield them from some of what we faced or all of it, if we could. But the Bible reminds us that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Which brings me to the second guarantee, which is going through the tough stuff in life. That's part of how God grows our kids' faith. Well, good morning, everybody.
Good to see you this morning. We're wrapping up our series uh, this morning on parenting and helping our kids develop faith, uh, faith that will stick with them and last, and our kids' faith journey, helping them go from the point where they're young kids and they're simply parroting our faith or accepting our faith for themselves to a place where they develop a faith that is their own. That journey is going to involve a lot of exploration, a lot of change. It's going to include some mistakes, some wrong choices, some messes in their life, the same way that our journey has and will. One of the most helpful choices that we can make as parents as they're going through that mess and that journey is to default to grace as we parent them. Our kids have grown up in a culture these days where when they fail or struggle, the people around them tend to just walk away from them, especially in their low times. Our kids need to know that we, as their parents, are going to be there for them, no matter what, regardless of what they're going through. When they falter, when they rebel, when they have a bad attitude, when they make bad choices. And bad choices can start really, really young. I get a lot of newsletters like some of you do in my email account. One of them a few weeks ago had asked parents to submit the most inappropriate things their kids had ever done. And they solidified that list around preschoolers. Uh, A lot of those I just can't, simply cannot share from the stage. Uh, But two of them. Uh, One of the parents said, we were getting ready to leave a birthday party and went up to the mother of the birthday child to thank her for inviting us. My two-year-old son slapped the mom on the butt and said, thanks for the cake, babe. (laughs) Because... That's how his father thanks me for dinner, and apparently he thought that's just how you thank people for good food. (laughs) There's an awkward moment. I don't recommend that as you uh, get your food in the cafe. That's just not appropriate. Another parent said, I was in Target with my four-year-old son when I noticed he had a little something on his nose. So I said, hey, what's that? stuff on your nose. Is that chocolate? Without missing a beat, the four-year-old said, um, no, it's blood on my nose from when you punched me earlier. (laughs) This from a kid who's never even gotten a swat on his backside. The mom said, I wanted to die right there in Target. Now, just confession, I've had those stories tucked away for all four messages of the series. I couldn't figure out any other way to work them in. I jammed them into the last message just because I thought they were great. Hope they worked. We just need grace as we parent our kids, right? Not, every, not everything is going to be as cute as that and fun. Some of the decisions they make are going to be really tough and really challenging. We need grace. Grace teaches. Grace protects, grace encourages, grace redeems. Grace doesn't mean we just simply let our kids do whatever they want when they want. 
Parenting with grace is about treating our kids the same way that God asks us to treat everyone else who's a part of our lives. And you can do an internet search and find this list for yourself, but in the New Testament, there are over a hundred passages in the New Testament that we refer to as the one another passages. They help us understand how God wants us to treat one another in our life as believers. They apply directly to relationships, all relationships, including our relationships with our children. Passages like Ephesians 4, verse 2, where Paul writes, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Or James says, don't grumble about each other. And that one hits me hard because I've got adult kids and I'm prone sometimes to grumble about things they do. Or back to Ephesians, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Think about that for a minute. What if we just implemented those two verses, that last passage? What if we just put those to work in our home? What if we just tried to bring that grace into our conversations between parents and kids on both sides? We're not going to be perfect at it, ever. I know I'm not. But even an agreement just to get rid of the anger and the harsh words that fly back and forth between parents and kids could change a lot of parenting relationships. The uncomfortable truth is that as our kids grow and develop sticky faith in that journey, it's going to be full of ups and downs. Mistakes are going to happen. Bad choices are going to be made by our kids and by us. And when those mistakes happen... It's important for us to remember, don't panic. I love the dictionary definition of the word panic. A sudden, overwhelming fear, with or without cause, that produces hysterical or irrational behavior. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning, but some of us are naturals at panic in parenting. Right? Not every aspect of parenting, but there are some that I'm a natural and was when my kids are growing up. I'm a natural at panic. A couple of things that I'll just confess, you know, responsibilities around the house. So, truthfully, if I knew my kids had something to do on a Saturday morning that was a chore or responsibility, had to be done by noon, it would start to bug me about 10 o'clock that they weren't doing that responsibility. You know, just get it done. All honesty, they wouldn't even be up by 10 o'clock, let alone doing the responsibility. And I would get this sense of worry that would lead to panic. Worse yet was if they weren't home by their curfew. Like if it's a midnight curfew and they're not home by quarter till, I start to panic. Where are they? What's going on? I imagine the worst possibility. They're dead in a ditch somewhere, you know? I just imagine the worst possibility that could happen, and panic starts to set in because a midnight curfew means you're home like 10 minutes early. That's just the way I operate. Here's the problem with panic. 
getting all churned up inside. When we panic, we almost always make bad decisions and cause ourselves more pain. What we really need is to calm down, come to our senses, pray, make some wise decisions. Philippians 4 says it this way, don't worry about anything. It's that worry that leads us to panic, right? Don't worry. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. Thanking Him for what He's done proves He's trustworthy. You can pray to Him and ask Him. Sounds good, but as a parent, that's really hard to live by those words. Panic with that overwhelming fear can cause us to react rather than respond, to control rather than guide, to force rather than shape, to dictate rather than listen. One of our parenting decisions with our kids was to expand their freedoms when they were in high school, to give them more adult freedoms and choices while they still had the ability to fail with a safety net at home. One example of that was we chose to remove their curfew during their senior year of high school. They had absolutely no curfew. The responsibility in there was that they had to give us an approximate time they would be home, you know, within a half an hour or so. That's just a courtesy thing. You'd want that same courtesy if you had roommates or if you're married. You kind of give an approximate time, you're going to be home. One fall evening, our son was out past midnight. That was about the time he said he'd be home. Midnight turned into 2 a.m. And we got a little worried. I was past the point of worry. I was way embedded in panic. We erred on the side of freedom and a sleepless night. We heard him come in somewhere between 4 and five in the morning. I tossed and turned the rest of the night. Honestly, vacillating somewhere between relief and rage that he had broken our trust. In the morning, when he was getting ready for school, I opened a conversation with him in a manner that I'm sure was not as delicate as it sounded in my head. And I was fully prepared to levy consequences for his behavior. His explanation was really simple. He said, I'm sorry that I didn't call, but I knew if I told you what I was doing and where I was going, you'd try to talk me out of it. So I made the decision not to call and accept any consequences that you would impose. Sounds adult. I didn't buy it. (laughs) So where were you? Uh, I was at my small group last night doing a Bible study. And in the course of the Bible study, we just all felt that God was saying to us that we needed to go buy food and go into the inner city of Chicago and feed the homeless. And that's what we did. And that's where we were. Well, crap. 
What do you do with that? And just so you know, not every one of those conversations with him was he so noble and, you know, spiritual. Not everyone went that well. In that moment, I was really proud of him. We still had the conversation about courtesy and curfew and all of that. But had I panicked at 2 a.m., texting furiously, where are you, why didn't you call, you are in such trouble, I could have ruined a formative faith experience for him. Parenting isn't easy. It is seldom a clear-cut decision. It's usually murky and muddy and messy. It's challenging to live out what the Bible calls us to do, right? Don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand. Lead them in the way of the master. That's not easy. A whole journey, as Paul said, needs to be bathed in prayer. When our kids were infants, Connie and I made a commitment that whenever we had to be up in the night with them, feeding them, they were sick, we would pray. Rather than complain about the loss of sleep, we would use that time to pray. So when our first child was born and there were nighttime feedings, we would pray. It was easy for me because they were breastfed. Um, I still got up and changed the diapers and got them ready. So I get a little credit, but Connie gets most of it. But I can remember from the time they were born until the time they left home, there were lots of times we just walk by their door. They'd be sleeping, and we'd look in individually, together. We'd just look in and see them sleeping, and we'd pray. Pray for their future, for the friends they had, the friends they'd make, that they'd be a good influence on them. Pray for the job they would choose, the spouse they would eventually choose. Pray that God would be this consistent influence and part of their life. Pray that we'd help them and shape them into the person that God had created them to be. Just stop by the door of their bedroom and pray. I wrote down over the months that I've been reading and working on these messages for this series, I wrote down for the first time, I've been a parent for 31 years. That was a scary thing to write down. And I began to think about what's the one thing I would want to say to wrap up this series. Just a general comment to say as an encouragement to every parent. And I think it would be this. As you parent, take the long view when it comes to raising kids. As our kids grow, they're going to make lots of decisions and mistakes and experiments. as they make friends, as they try jobs, and yes, even as they experiment with their faith in God. It takes that for them to grow up. And it's really hard as they're doing that to not become myopic, to not focus in on a single event or a single moment in their life and define our kids by what's happening in that moment. 
Because honestly, some of those moments can feel overwhelming. I follow a blogger named Alan Lawrence. He is a professional photographer who lives in Utah with his wife, Nikki, and there are five kids, and they have a sixth child on the way. Life is full. Immediately after their fifth child was born, the doctor told Alan that their son, Will, had Down syndrome. Alan was devastated by the news. He didn't want anyone to see Will for hours. A prolific photographer, he didn't post any pictures on Facebook or Instagram, which was very out of character for him. Dozens of people were in the waiting room. He didn't go out to see them, and he wouldn't let any of them in to visit for hours. He says, I was pretty selfish about it. I was dwelling on things that were out of my control, and I feel bad saying this, but I felt like Will was going to be a burden on our family. Over the next few hours, there were lots of tests for Will and lots of conversations with doctors and lots of tears from Alan. After a while, Nikki helped Alan take the long view. She looked at Alan and she said, Look, we need to take things one day at a time. If Will doesn't ever speak, we'll find a way to communicate with him. If he, in fact, has a hole in his heart, we'll help him get better. The Lord knows what we can handle, so we can only do our best. I am so grateful to have a son. I don't care what anybody else thinks. And you, she said to Alan, you need to get over yourself. That's a good wife. Her words helped Alan see the truth. That he was so focused on the moment and the problem, he wasn't seeing the beauty of the son that God had given him. And the fact that in the midst of whatever struggles that were going to come, there would be joy. So they brought Will home from the hospital. And over the next few months, the family noticed that Will had this funny habit. (laughs) He loved to lay on his stomach and stretch his arms and legs out straight behind him as though he were trying to fly. Alan began to think with his photographic mind that it would be great to take pictures of Will in that position, imagining he could fly. So he took a picture and he held Will high above his head and then with his graphic arts background, he photoshopped, he erased himself out of the picture and he posted his first picture on Facebook for his family and friends (laughs) with the caption, hey guys, Will finally took off. He's flying around the yard, and we can't get him to go back to bed. That picture was shared with an ever-increasing circle of people. Alan took more pictures, and it went viral. And now the pictures have been seen by millions of people around the globe. 
And Alan now sees Will in a whole different light. He sees now a joyful, delightful 17-month-old boy who loves to ride, go on bike rides with his brothers. <laughs> he loves to raid the refrigerator late at night. And he loves to tease his older brothers. The only difference is, Will can fly. He likes to play like every other 17-month-old. He plays with dinosaurs. He plays with bubbles. And he plays in the rain. The only difference is, Will can fly. What really is the difference? Will still has Down syndrome. Will still faces a very uncertain future in his life. And Alan? Life isn't perfect for Alan. He admits that he still struggles with pride from time to time. The difference is that Alan is taking the longer view. He's not defining will by the struggles and the problems that he faces in his life. He's able to enjoy this amazing gift that he has in his son. These amazing, moving images of will have taught me a lot about parenting. None of us have perfect kids. Not a one of us. Every single kid is going to have their quirks, their oddities, their struggles, their challenges, their imperfections. Put any word you want in that slot. Some of them our kids are born with. Some come on our kids by their own choosing. Some of them are thrust upon them. The challenge for us as parents is to not make that issue the focal point of their life. Our kids will at times make us proud. And they will frustrate. Our role is to love them just as God loves us fully, completely, unconditionally. To help them know that no matter what they face in their life, we will not be like the rest of the world. We will never turn away. We will never walk away from them. No matter what their struggle is. In their low times, when they fail, we will always be there. Over time, like Alan, we may fade into the background. Our kids may not recognize that we're there, supporting them, loving them, encouraging them, cheering them on through whatever they face. But we'll be there, loving them.
just like God loves us.